We went around the whole entire planet, selling at arenas and stadiums. I was one of the most recognizable people in the world at that point. They just like gorgeous. We created mayhem and mania wherever we went. Are you ready to run? Just looked at him. I just like, oh, we can live forever. I think the letters H O M E are so important because they personify the word home. Love an album, but find there's always at least one song on it that's not up to the standard of the rest. This podcast is for you. Welcome to Trimming Musical Fat. I'm Stephen Nicholson. And I'm Paul Nicholson. And thank you for joining us for the latest Trimming the Classic episode. And the subject of today's episode is the sophomore effort by legendary British pop band Bross, 1989's seminal The Time album. Paul and I will pick a song from the album we like the least, our favourites, and discuss the album as a whole. I made a conscious decision because of Stevie Wonder to not be superstitious. And we'll start with uh, three questions for you, Paul. Are you ready? Yeah. So these are these are obviously questions related to uh, the great Bros. So, question one. How many songs on Brosse's debut album, Push, were written by Matt and Luke Goss? And we should say for those who are not familiar with uh, Bross, uh, Bross are um, brothers. Well, are they brothers? We'll talk about that later. Matt and Luke Goss. So, yeah. How many songs on their debut album were written by Matt and Luke Goss? Zero. So I guess? Yeah. It's a good guess, it's right. Um, do you know who wrote the songs on the album? Somebody who did a lot of songwriting in the 80s for people. That narrows it down considerably, doesn't it? <laughs> um, yep, they were all written by uh, Nicky Graham and band manager Tom Watkins. Um, but they used the pseudonym The Brothers to make it look like Matt and Luke Goss had written the songs. Yeah. Uh, which is quite interesting. You've been um, you've been reading Wikipedia as well, then, yeah. Uh, I knew this information already, being a big <laughs> fan, so I didn't have to look that kind of stuff up. And for me, actually, when you read that kind of stuff, um, it was a good thing. Come the second album, that the they were doing, you know, um, a lot of their own writing because it could really show mm-hmm. their. Tr- through greatness by being able to write their own material. So for me, that was absolutely fantastic. Yeah, massive jump forward from the first time. So question, oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, lyrically and musically, it was mm-hmm. a, a quantum leap, wasn't yeah. it, mm-hmm. uh, from the first to the second yeah. album? Mm-hmm. Um, some might say genius. Anyway, question, mm-hmm. question two. Um, so Bros were originally a trio. What was the name of the bassist who left the band in early 1989? Craig Logan. It was Craig Logan. And do you remember remember that at the time? I do remember when he left, did he not get like, he went to court and he got like a million pounds or something, which was a lot of, well, is a lot of money now even, but back then. Uh, and I think he did, he did well out of it actually, because I'm sure they went, they lost a lot of money. 
whereas he actually invested it and like actually he's probably been the most successful out of them, you know, since since the band. Split. That's debatable, I would say. Um, for me, he was the dead weight around the band's <laughs> neck. And for me, it was a good thing. Uh, I think he was holding them back. You know, a bit, mm-hmm. a bit like... Well, certainly uh, if you go by the second album. Yeah, yeah. I mean, just like uh, Anakin says, Obi-Wan Kenobi in Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, you know, he's holding them back. Oh, no, it was Attack of the Clones, my apologies. I mean, for me, it meant Matt and Luke could truly spread their their wings and, and really Craig Logan was a talentless hack. I mean, what did he ever do after that? Uh, I think he only went on to work with minor talents like um, Pink, Beyonce, Justin Timberlake and Tina Turner. So they're well shot of him. Mm-hmm. That was, that was, a, that was yeah. a good choice. Mm-hmm. Uh, question, question three, final question. So Matt and Luke Goss are identical twins, true or false? True. It's actually false. You would say they're identical twins, wouldn't you? But if you actually mm-hmm. do a bit of digging digging around, actually Matt and Luke were best friends since childhood. And at the age of 16, the then known as, so he wasn't always known as Luke Goss, he was uh, Atamaas, I think maybe from Greek oh, origin, right. Atamaas. Mm-hmm. Uh, he decided to go uh, undergo cosmetic surgery to look like his friend, Matt. Right, and okay. then after he went through all of that, which must have been quite painful, he then changed his name by Deadpool to Luke Goss. Right. Hence the reason why everyone thinks they're identical twins, but they're not. Mm. That's fascinating. It's interesting, yeah. And I think he also he was a bit taller than Matt Goss, so he got I think maybe mm-hmm. two inches shaved off his legs to bring him down mm. the same height. So, I mean, he really went all in on it, which is really yeah, uh, quite ahead of his time. Quite, quite impressive. So uh, before that, we get I mean, to that, they, they got their, yeah. So as you say, their surname is like Rhineman slang for candy floss because they. Apparently when they used to play, they used to go to fairgrounds and they like getting candy floss. That's where, and then they they got the name Goss, like Cockney Rhyme and Slang. Or candy floss, Goss, maybe, maybe. Yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. I didn't read that one, but uh, who's yeah. to say? Which of these songs did not get to number one in the UK? A Different Corner, George Michael, You Take My Breath Away, Berlin. The Sun I Was Shined on TV, aha, or Living on a Prayer by Bon Jovi? The answer is Bon Jovi. Well done to Todd Forney, who answered the question correctly in our Facebook group. One of the things it can turn into. Yeah. We didn't want to use like 50 colours because it looks very dated, so we're using one or two colours at a time. So this is another thing you can turn the stage into. This one actually gives the illusion of the pyros, pyros falling down everywhere. And they are pyros. No, they really are. They are pyros. Ah, okay, so, all right. Um, so before we actually get to the album, let's talk about the band itself so were you always a, a kind of card carrying member of the bros fan club when the i think they debuted in 87 was that right 
Yeah. With when will I be famous? Cracker. Yeah, not initially, but then once once it was re-released and I Owe You Nothing came out, I was hooked on them, just thought. Mm -hmm. It it felt like, probably how it felt like for our dad in the 60s, you know, like when that excitement, something that was new and had come and it was innovative and it was, uh, yeah, I used to have the shoes as well, the little... Uh, oh, yeah. shoes with the bro with the bros logo and yep. on them and stuff yeah yeah i mean i think for me if, if, uh, the one that really got me wasn't when will i be famous but drop the boy oh, yeah. yeah i'm a man yes i am i mean those words just spoke to me at the mm -hmm. time uh absolute banger banger that one um so so basically you're saying paul you were always a, a bro set right from the beginning of their their career Pretty much, yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And, and even in the, the years since, I've always been advocating for them to get back together. and and But not with Craig Logan. I'm glad he stayed out of it. Yeah, waste of time. Yeah. Uh, I've actually been advocating for years that they should get a spot. Um, they were inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you see Apparently some of the... they are, I think. Well, I, hope, yeah. I hope so. What, next year? Mm -hmm. I hope so. I think so, yeah. See, when you see some of the crap that's got in there, like Radiohead, mm -hmm. uh, the Beatles, Fleetwood Mac, and all that, Pink Floyd, it's a disgrace that Bros aren't in there. Yeah, they don't know. They, they uh, you can't compare these bands to Bros because Bros are just on another level. Yeah, um, you were saying you think they are getting inducted next year. I think so. Yeah, I think because Matt's been doing his. In Las Vegas, he's been doing his uh, stints there, and I think they were heard there that they'd like to get uh, inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame because it feels like they've not really got the recognition they deserved after all these years. So it feels yeah. only fitting that being the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, uh, particularly the massive in America, mm -hmm. it's said in America, uh, one so. of the biggest bands to ever ever uh, mm -hmm. go over from Britain to there. You know, yeah, uh, probably, probably top just five, after the Beatles, yeah. mm -hmm. maybe definitely top five up there with the Stones, Beatles, and such yeah. like. And um, uh, before we talk about the album, I mean, what do what do Bros mean to you? They mean everything. They mean my youth, the just the joy they brought and the happiness, and uh, they're a couple of good-looking lads, you know. Uh, did, did, did they nearly turn you? Well, it, it was a push. <laughs> <laughs> Drop the boy. Uh, yeah, but no, yeah. yeah. Just, and the vocals are just amazing as well. The, <clears throat> it was just quite ferocious. and mm -hmm. um, yeah. a, a big influence on Michael Jackson, I believe. Mm-hmm. Yep, on yep. his on his bad album, yeah. Well, let's yep. talk about the album itself. So the time is the second album by British pop band Bros and the follow-up to their brilliant debut album, Push. It was released on the 16th of October 1989 and was their first album as a duo of Matt and Luke Goss, following the departure of Waste of Time bassist Craig Logan earlier in the year. It was also the first album to feature Matt and Luke as co-writers along with Nicky Graham. Four singles were released from the album, Too Much, Chocolate Box, Madly in 
Love and Sister. The album was a huge success for the band, reaching number one in over 20 countries, including the UK and US, and selling a whopping 15 million copies. Its lead single, Too Much, was nominated for six Grammys, winning three, Song of the Year, Record of the Year, and Best Rock Song. The album also managed to nab itself a Grammy-winning Best Reggae Album. The album was well received by critics. Mike Suter of Smash Hits recognised the duo's talent and stated that their playing had become more accomplished and their sound was more mature compared with the debut album Push. In Enemy, Simon Williams stated that the band were already starting to reach both the creative and melodic heights of the Beatles, and Enemy rated it their top album of 1989. So, Paul, when did you first hear um, the album? Well, the day it came out in, in 1989. Yeah, same here. And yeah, and it was the final. I remember it was different because it was the first one without Craig Logan. And mm-hmm. but I like the sound. It was a bit heavier. It was a bit more because they wrote the songs. And it was a bit, to be honest, some of it I would describe as a bit metal as well. Some of it was quite heavy. And I liked that. I was getting into that mm-hmm. sound then. So. Yeah, I would have bought in some parts. Out. What's that? Sorry, uh, a bit avant garden parts as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. Push, well, pushing, that's... pushing the boundaries. It's a bit like the Beatles' White Album. It's quite eclectic. There's like so many different sounds. The fact that it won the Best Reggae Album as well just shows the versatility in their in the album. Well, at the same Grammys, it was also up for Best Classical Album and Best Metal Album. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just shows you. Not many bands do that. No, 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 nobody. nobody. Uh, I actually bought this in the day it came out uh, on vinyl, actually, uh, and I was mm-hmm. actually went online just to check how much that might be worth. Because I, I mean, I played it to death, so I mean, it's hardly. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm sure it's uh, the, the vinyl. Uh, you know, it'll be scrubbed from being played so much. But I went online to see how much it might be worth and have a guess. Two thousand pounds. Can you believe it? Two thousand pounds. Mental, isn't it? In a way, I can quite believe it because there's so many collectors out there who would 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 die to get that original uh, release. Yeah, and um, uh, one of the things that really jumped out at me was the song "Space," which Mm -hmm. maybe was the biggest artistic leap from the debut to this album. space where the band ponder the wonder of the Apollo space program um, and the cultural impact of the 1969 moon landing. Um, And I also thought Matt's vocals had somehow improved between the two albums. And as I've mentioned already, I remember even Michael Jackson saying in the, the Sun newspaper that he wished he had, you know, a set of pipes that were on Matt's level. Yeah. No, you can hear he's much more at ease in the second album and his voice just gets better and better. And I know, I remember at the time Freddie Mercury saying that 
it was kind of like he felt like Ross were doing what he'd been doing in the seventies with his vocals, you know, and yeah, how much of an influence they were going to create for the next generation. And, and um, you find that today, a lot of artists, how much of an influence Bros have been for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, dozens and dozens, if not hundreds. Mm-hmm. And what did you think of the the album cover? So the album cover's got a black black and white photo of uh, Matt and Luke. What did you think of it? It's good. It's quite quite avant-garde, quite almost about 1930s almost, a black and white, almost a bit like uh, Marlene Dietrich in, in the 30s and like the Beamer Napsty video Queen 2 cover that had that sort of feel to it, iconic. And, and that's why, to be honest, you can go into any record shop in the world and genuinely you'll, you'll find that poster up there because it's such an iconic cover. And apparently I've I've heard that it's overtaken Sgt. Pepper as the, the most loved cover ever in the world, most recognisable. That's, that's, that's some, a, some feat. Some achievement. And mm-hmm. do you remember Dad took us down to Wembley Stadium in 1989 for the Bross Into Summer concert? And remember it well, yeah. The, yeah, and do you remember uh, yeah, August 1989 and where Bros were supported by, I think it was uh, Prince, Whitney Houston and Sonia. What did you think of think of that? It was good. I thought they were brilliant, but I also think the next best person, which probably uh, surprised people was Sonia. I thought she was amazing as well and her vocal talents. Surprisingly so. She was brilliant. Uh, and just her sort of scouse humour as well. She was just really funny as well and a great performer. Uh, but I remember the day, because I remember I was starting high school not long after it and it was just brilliant, nice warm summer's night and just senior heroes, you know. I mean, people. Yeah, I mean, people have argued with me over this. I'll just say Sonia can take Whitney Houston out any day of the week Mm -hmm. in a a fist fight or vocally. Um, Mm -hmm. We pocket rocket. Um, And um, do you remember near the end of the concert, there was a heckler at the front um, of the crowd? And Matt started kind of getting involved in in a bit of a heated back and forth and he actually ended up jumping in the crowd breaking two ribs um and I, that was the only thing that kind of spoiled it for me because why was he going fighting a 12 year old girl just because she you know she was saying he didn't like his kind of ripped jeans that was a bit stupid yeah it was just about order i think particularly when he grabbed a guitar and hit her over the head with it as well yeah, well, that's, the how that's, that's how they lost all their money. The girl sued her. Mm-hmm. They sued him, uh, or the band, mm-hmm. I should say. That's how the yeah um, they went broke. And here's a fact yeah. for you: Do you know the girl who sued them that day, who was who got hit by the band? Guess who that turned out to be? Pink. Hmm. So there we go. So it was worth it in the end. She got the money to obviously further her mm-hmm. uh, music career, give it a start. So fair play. <clears throat> yeah. So um, let's talk about maybe our favourite song on the, the album. Let me, I'll let you go first, Paul. So what's your favourite song on the album? I would say 
too much. It's it's just it, first single just from the album. It. Yeah, I remember watching it on the Brit Awards actually, and it was like a new direction for them, and they were going more heavy and and it just it just felt like a massive leap, a bit like you know the Beatles from Rubber Soul Revolver to Sergeant Pepper. For me, it felt like that much of a leap, and they were much more confident in themselves. Like say earlier, they were spreading their wings and. So for me, that song, it's just really good. It's just really heavy. It's like saying, look, we're back and this is who we really are. We're not just a boy band. We're like a, a serious rock band that everybody loves, not just young people. I think they were spreading more than their wings around that, mm-hmm. that time, yeah. Um, so too much gets your vote. Uh, for me, I'd go with um, a more profound song, Black and White. <laughs> Yeah. Not the Michael Pre-cuffed Jackson one from Michael 91. Jackson. Yeah, it was. Mm. This is the better tune. This is the better tune. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've probably never heard a more profound song on race relations than this. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the lyrical prowess for me is up there with the likes of Bob Dylan and Leonard Cohen. I actually wrote this down because I think it's a lot of people won't have heard this these lyrics. I just thought I'd like to share it. So, But if two colours had to share this planet what two colours would be better than black and white? Living together, black and white. Harmony forever, black and white. And then the, the kind of final couplet at the end of the song, which beautiful. Uh, yellow, brown, black and white. We hate r- racism, it is sh- um, those yeah. words. Those words stayed with me to this day. Yeah. It's good because it's quite shocking as well, but I think... I I think need, well, we need to, to get the bleep machine out for that, won't I? No, but you need to, to be honest, when it comes to things like racism, you need to call these things out. It's not mm-hmm. acceptable. So actually when people are using a profanity to describe it, maybe mm-hmm. people need that shock to wake them up. Yeah. And, and, and I think Ross did that. Ross mm-hmm. for the band to do it. Rome wasn't built in a day. I mean, that's true. But we don't have the time that Rome had. So that's our favourites. What about your least favourite, Paul? What would you say? As, as hard on an album, as good as a Stephen Picker song, that you say is not as good as the others. To, to be honest, for the first time, ty- for the first time, it's just impossible. I can't, I can't do it. Oh, all... on, you, got, you got to pick one. You got to pick one. Oh, it's so hard. Uh, what about the song? <laughs> probably the first song, "Madly in Love." If I had oh, to pick why? one, it's brilliant, but. It maybe just sounds a bit dated compared to the rest of the songs. Mm-hmm. 
much of its time. It's still a great song, but mm-hmm. if I had to choose one, it's hard to choose one because, to be honest, I wasn't going to do it, but I have to do it. So it's like that yeah, song. It's, it's, it's maybe more of a trivial song compared to some of the others where they go a little bit deeper, like Space mm-hmm. and Black and White. So, yeah, I can I'd see where you're coming from. For me, it was a fight between uh, Don't Bite the Hand and Club Fool. Um, and, yeah, it just seemed maybe slightly, just more slight uh, compared to maybe some of the other material. Um, yeah, Space, Money and Chocolate Box. Um, and did you know that Don't Bite the Hand is about Fanny? Is that right? I didn't know that, right? Mm-hmm. So Fanny mm-hmm. was the name of the, the band's dog who used to go around biting their hands. That was what inspired right, that okay. one. So, but I'm actually going to go with Club Fool. Did you ever hear the story about Club Fool? Where, what the inspiration behind that? No. No. Okay. Well, the Please band went. Oh yeah. So the band were on a uh, on an American tour. I think playing uh, stadium tour, nineteen eighty nine. Um, one of the dates was in LA, <clears throat> and on a night off they went to the Viper Room, which is obviously a club, very well known in LA. Um, is it River Phoenix that died there. The Viper Room. Yeah. Yeah so, they went to, that, yeah. yeah, so they went to a visit there and bumped into, you would not believe it, mm. B.A. Baracus, uh, Clubber Lang himself. So he was introduced to the band, um, and Mr. T was in- introduced to Matt and Luke, uh, but Mr. T was not impressed, I think. So he, the, the the boys, quite rightly, were getting all the female attention. Mm-hmm. So I think it's had given uh, his... his Catchphrase and, um, and that in turn inspired Club Fool um, mm. because Matt and Luke were just kind of disappointed at meeting their absolute hero. And yeah, um, they think he is the fool in the club, hence Club Fool. So that's where that song came from. Mm. So, um, they never meet your heroes, absolutely. And so it was really disappointing to them. Uh, and that inspired that song, and ironically, it inspired from either worst song on the album. We had one toy that we loved more than anything, and that was a dart. We didn't have a dartboard that went along with it. We had a dart. We used to throw it up in the air as hard as we could, and we would stay as still as we could for as long before it landed. One time, it unfortunately, landed in Matt's ribs. In my rib. Granddad pulled the dart out, gave it back to me, and we carried on playing. And now you can't even play Conkers in England. Can we start a petition in, in honour of Bros, please? Can we start an honour of How what? ridiculous it is that you got you can't play Conkers, and if you do, you've got to wear goggles. 
That is the biggest problem. Can't play conkers in England. I can, I can live with it. Well, we need to go now and open our chocolate box for some snacks. We hope you enjoyed our special April the 1st pod. If you want to check out our other one from uh, last year, you can do so, and that focused in on the Cheeky Girls' debut album. Absolute uh, banger, that one, Paul. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, yeah, like when you've heard, want to show your appreciation, why not buy Paul and I a coffee by going over to buymeacoffee.com. So, to conclude, thanks to you for listening, and until next time, keep trimming. Trimming Musical Fat Podcast is a Stephen and Paul Nicholson production. Contact us via voicemail by going to anchor.fm forward slash ttmf forward slash message or tweet us at, at musical trimming or email us at trimmingthemusicfat at gmail.com. Keep up to date on the show by joining our Facebook group or visiting our website www.trimmingthemusicalfat.com. I love it. I love it. There was ever 15 one-way streets. and one solitary two-way street where me and my brother got to meet in the middle. You You helped us find that one street. Really, we've met in the middle there. Two worlds have definitely collided. And when two worlds collide, two things happen. Destruction or the genesis of new beginnings. And you have created water on a new planet, mate. And from that life will grow.